In Session with Dr. Farid Holakwi. Good afternoon. Welcome to In Session. I'm your host, Dr. Farid Holakwi, and I'll be with you for the next two hours here on Radio Hamra have a guest today, so I won't be taking any calls. You can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or like my page on Facebook to get updates on the show or suggest topics or books for the program. And the shows are uploaded at the end of each week to my SoundCloud page and podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So my guest today deserves an introduction, but I won't give him one because it's my brother. He doesn't deserve one. He does deserve okay. one. But it's my brother, Parham, <laughs> who I've had on the show many times and most of you already know. Um, and for a while, I wanted to have you back on. Always enjoy our discussions, well, off the air, but also on the air. And so today we were going to talk about some uh, few, you call it the three C's, elements that you think are important but tend to be missing in education. Mm-hmm. And I'll let you get us started on those three, and then we can just jump right in if you'd like. Yeah, let's do it. So, first of all, great to be with you, Fadid. And I will get closer to the microphone. Fadid, you know, he's the expert here. He's been doing radio shows how many years now? Eight years, twice a week. It's a lot. Yeah. So, uh, with these, I do, the sound is better now. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Fadid. You so, the topic, I, you know, I do think it's really something I think a lot about is in the way we uh, teach students today. There's a lot of things that have been legacies of the past, the way educational systems have always been sort of for a different work environment. So we were preparing students for a different world. The world has changed, and yet education has stayed mainly the same, the things that we emphasize. And so I, I also think <clears throat> a lot of students come in with a lot of love of learning. I think student, people generally, children are, are naturally artists. Picasso has this quote where he said, every child is an artist. It's about remaining an artist as we can become adults. That's what's difficult. Or remaining a child. Or or being, remaining an artist. Remaining an artist. I guess they're both the same thing in a way. Yeah. Thanks for correcting that, Fatty. Thank you. <laughs> that was really incorrect. important. Was it incorrect? Or was, I don't even know which way it was correct. But anyway. Whether it was but correct it's actually the same thing, is that the artist, as a child, you have these fresh eyes. You're more... It's You don't come with these restrictions and judgments, so it makes you more fresh at how you look at things apparently. except with your brothers i think with your brothers you can yeah. always be a little more restrictive Critical. and catch them when they're doing something that's right it's exactly. important it's part of it <laughs> so <laughs> but i think those the three things that i would emphasize that i think are missing they're all taught tangentially indirectly in schools but it's not a core topic and i think it's so absolutely important to be able to thrive in the world in your career but even in life and those three to me just to spell them out right here up front is creativity, communication, and critical thinking. All three of these things students are supposed to come at in their own ways. Communication, for example, is integral to how we socialize when we present things to the class. These things are taught, but it's not a point of emphasis, and it's so key to thriving in the economy today. Critical thinking, we are awash in so much information, especially today. There's more complexity in the world that we navigate than any time in human history. And so having critical thinking, having that ability to navigate this world and think in clear ways is really, really important. And then of course, creativity. The careers of the past were much more about mechanically applying things you've learned. Now we need to be able to take what we know and go to new places, go to new horizons, things we haven't ever been able to even see or experience before. That's what's needed. And creativity, I think, is 
one thing that I see a lot of really smart, intelligent, bright students is missing. You give them something new or, or expect them to go to a new place they haven't seen before and they get, um, that makes them nervous. That's not something they're able to navigate. So mm -hmm. teaching creativity has always been something that's a struggle. How do we teach something that seems intangible? It's really easy to teach something like algebra. You know, there's a, there's sort of a, a routine, a standardized way of doing those things. But teaching creativity doesn't have that same standardized approach. Yeah, I mean, actually, creativity is interesting when we say teaching it because one of the things that's very important for creativity is getting out of the way. So mm -hmm. teaching it can almost seems like it's against the actual um, uh, creativity or encouraging creativity. So we'll get into those. So communication, critical thinking, creativity, and. Of course, there's a lot of uh, schools of thought, pun intended, about how education can and should change, what's missing. Obviously, as a psychologist, uh, it's related to the topics you're bringing up, social-emotional types of learning, emotional mm -hmm. intelligence, relationships, those aspects of life that tend to be ignored, but now there's lots of movements towards uh, adding those, incorporating mm -hmm. those into standard education, which I think is wonderful. But I think you're right, there's a lot that is just the way we've always done things when it comes to education that have remained and they're not necessarily ever were the best ways of doing things. And especially as the world has evolved itself, might not be preparing children for life, for their futures, for what is even, you know, maybe we can take a step back. What's the intention of education? Why do we even have that system? Uh, I think historically a lot of it has been to make people be a certain way. And that's, I think, why it's so uh, antithetical to creativity in some ways at mm -hmm. times, where it's like, no, you have to think this way, don't think any other way. Mm -hmm. So it's exa almost exactly the opposite of creativity. It's trying to make everyone think the same rather than allowing them to th think different. But I think historically we've seen that. And so now it's, we can, I mean, maybe if you want to share some thoughts, what is the purpose is a big question. I think it's going to be lots of different things, but what's the purpose of education to begin with? It's a good question to ask before we even dive in. Because even the word education, it, it's, uh, the root is educo, which is to evoke or to bring out. It, I think that I like that a lot because it's bringing out what the student already is. Mm -hmm. It's not filling this empty vessel with information and knowledge that they need. They're not empty. It's bringing out what they are. And so with that, with that approach, it, it becomes much more uh, open and, and individualized. And the problem, of course, is you have to teach, let's say, 30, 40 students mm -hmm. in a classroom. So standardizing things is integral to the process. It's about trying to at least do that, do the standardized things, but also allow the individuality, individuality yeah. to come out as well. I think another problem, if you compare, for example, the United States to a country like Finland, which tends to be on almost every measure, number one in the world in education, the country of Finland. And the way they incentivize teachers is very different there. The standardization process is also integral in the, the teachers themselves. So it's a question of who are you bringing in? What type of people generally, I think students, reflect they're a mirror of their teachers. If the teacher themselves believes in like a very regimented, strict way of doing things, if they're teaching to the test, if it's not about learning for the love of learning, for the joy of learning, if that's not open, you're going to draw different types of teachers. And those different types of teachers are going to teach in a very different way. And, and also, not only that, not only the types, but also your, even if someone comes in with a life, I've seen so many teachers that come with passion in the United States. They, they love, they do it for the love of, of educating the future generation. But the way the incentives are set up mm -hmm. for teachers, they have no choice but to also teach to the test and use rote memorization and use things that stifle creativity. Yeah. It stifles the students' individuality. So, yeah, you know, you're saying the teacher, the, the, the students are going to reflect the teacher, but then you 
went to there is a bigger culture right of yeah. what's education like and then of course each school will have its own culture as well but what's the overall education of uh, the culture of the education which as you're saying in finland they have a very different culture where it's not about testing and grades and it's much different much more about play and uh, letting the children learn in more interactive ways mm-hmm. not just you know as you said filling them with knowledge as is con- commonly what education has been historically in places like the United States so that culture of education is very important because you can say we want to teach creativity but then if a teacher has to make sure students all pass a certain test in a certain way by a certain date that is the most important thing then of course creativity is going to you know go to the wayside it's not mm-hmm. going to be be as important so you actually said the word prepared earlier and i forgot the author of the book but um, i remember reading a book a few years ago about education and mm-hmm. the title was prepared and i really liked that title for a book about education because her argument or the schools that she had helped create were about preparing children because she saw that there was a lot of these students that were becoming these robots that would be good at getting into college because yeah. there was this strict way of having these scores and these extracurriculars and these types of activities but it was very much do it so you get into the college not to learn the skills to become a prepared individual mm-hmm. and so her philosophy was we want to make children prepared through education prepared to live their life not these robots that can just you know get in mm-hmm. to to these schools so i think that's really important and i think something you're bringing up is to shift this mindset about how we approach education in general but you also brought up something that's very challenging which is you know it's very easy to say make it you know individualized make mm-hmm. it you know but you still have a school day you still have these variety of children how to you how do you have um one one thing we do need is like smaller classrooms more teachers but still it's very challenging and this is why i see it with parents too that it's very easy when your child conforms to everything you say so sometimes parents have two kids or more than two kids and like oh this one kid is so thing always that's what i say it's so such a good kid mm-hmm. and the other one is a bad kid cuz they essentially think for themselves sometimes and so yeah. it could be tough because of course i get it as a parent they're trying to manage the day get out of the house on time get to certain things you know there's all these things that they have to manage and take care of but also there's this way of saying when you do exactly what i say and think that's good when you don't that's bad mm-hmm. that gets passed on to the kids and sometimes the kid feels oh i'm the good kid because i never think for myself i do exactly what mom or dad wants um so i get it there there are these It's, you know for me most things in life involve a balancing act so yeah. there is this encouraging creativity individuality but then there's some level of structure that has to be there as mm-hmm. well that can be a challenge and how do you balance those things i think that's a a tough question but one that can be answered and has to be one that we approach as the goal how do we balance giving children individualized types of education encouraging these things that we're going to talk about today but also having some level of structure that we can have you know an academic process that's uh we can kind of understand and navigate yeah. collectively. Yeah. I think structured play even structured spontaneity. Um I I've seen um for example improv comedy it's very structured there are a lot of rules but the rules allow for new things mm-hmm. to spring up. They allow for creativity. You see innovation labs where their goal is to come up with new products, new ideas. There's structure, there's rules, there's things people follow, but the rules are designed for creativity. They're designed for, we don't know what the outcome is going to be. So some things where like you have a a recipe and ingredients and you take step by step by step and you get the outcome, you bake the mm-hmm. cake. There's some things where you have rules, ingredients and you don't know what the outcome is. You yeah. don't know whether it's going to be a cake or a pie or a chick. You don't know what it's going to be. So 
I think that's that's the things that are they're a little more challenging too. I mean, yeah. these things all we're talking about here is it's much easier to have everybody memorize a passage from a test, mm-hmm. you know, from a book. That's much easier. It's an easier way to, to teach. This yeah. is a little bit more challenging. It's also a bit more um, open in the sense that there isn't a, a if you want to teach in this way, there's no book that's going to teach you exactly how to do it. Mm-hmm. There isn't a set curriculum. There is for other types of subjects. Yeah. The reason this is important, though, especially in the economy of the of the future, is that there's increasingly there's automation. So so many of the jobs that existed in the past are becoming obsolete. They no longer will exist, and this is going to continue. This trend is accelerating into the future. So many jobs that will exist in the future for the kids that we're training today, we don't even they don't even exist yet. So how do you prepare students for jobs that don't even exist, mm-hmm. or jobs that are changing? The same jobs, maybe a physician's job 20 years from now will be very, very different. A lot of the things will be done through robotics or automation. So what that tells us is that anything that is easily can be memorized or is something that you could set down, if you could set an instruction, these are the things you need to do, one to 10. If you can do that, it's probably going to be automated. Mm-hmm. It's where we need creativity, connecting with others and empathy where we need open critical thinking. Those things are the jobs of the future. So if we're preparing our kids for for careers, let's put aside that we're trying to create a full human being, we can talk about that in the next segment. Mm -hmm. But if we're just talking even about just how do we help them thrive in their future careers, it needs to be much more open. The things we have to train them for are the things that, what they call is now it's called future proofing. No matter Mm -hmm. what changes this skill set, this makeup of an individual will be able to thrive in any work environment. Yeah, and I think that, we talked about this before we came on the air to me flexibility is a huge part of that and something that's in classic education is at times making you more rigid and just thinking in this way which is why i think creativity is a big one in, in those three that we'll get into but it's just that you are allowed to think different and giving that space for that it doesn't mean every different thought is good every different thought is not advancement but we need difference in thinking to advance there's no way you can advance without something being different than it was before mm-hmm. so you know we'll get into these things a bit more you know talking about limits and structures where we're at the time for a commercial break mm-hmm. so we'll play mm-hmm. after the break we'll get into these three c's that uh, you talked about and get a little bit deeper into to each of those and what they might mean again my guest for today is my brother parham we will be right back back again me and my brother Parham talking about the three C's that he has come up with that he thinks tend to be missing or need to be included more in education critical thinking communication and creativity and actually I think you said you wanted to start with creativity which we touched on a bit in the last segment so we can continue that on creativity um, even what maybe that's even very relevant to that the word education like you talked about about bringing with that which is in out so that's what we want to do with creativity but what do you how would you describe creativity because it's a um, broad broad topic that we can get into we just wanted to get some of your thoughts as we get rolling yeah i think i mean there's so many definitions of creativity but be, one, be creative in your i'm gonna yeah yeah i'm gonna make this a very creative definition the definition itself should be super creative. And I think also, you know, it's uh, it's a tougher thing to teach. Critical thinking and communication, at least there's a bit of a blueprint. Creativity is a little bit tougher mm-hmm. to uh, to manufacture in a classroom. But um, you have to be creative in the way that you come up with the curriculum. I mean, if, if it's, you're teaching creativity, you should also, I think, incorporate some creativity in how you bring it out. But I think one definition that I like, it's really just about re 
it's combining things in new ways. Mm-hmm. Okay, so the raw ingredients of creativity, nothing of it is coming from nothing, right? We don't just create, nothing that you, the biggest innovation, the biggest creations are coming from some raw ingredients. The raw ingredients is what already exists. It's just combining them in new ways. And so with that in mind, the more ingredients we have, the more creative we can be. So the more knowledge you have, the bigger your base. I, I call these like, it's collecting dots. The more knowledge and information you can accumulate and have at your disposal, the more creative potential you have, the more creative potential you have. Some people, they have lots of knowledge and lots of information. They have lots of raw ingredients. Their kitchen is full, but they don't have the creativity or the open mind to bring these together in new ways. That same knowledge has made them maybe like steeped into a certain orthodoxy where they sort of believe in a very set way. Mm -hmm. And so that recombination is stifled. So, but first, the first step is I think accumulate. And I think children, when they're young, if they're interested, if they're curious in anything, let them dive in. It doesn't matter what it is. You can't say, oh, you should be you know, studying math. Or you should be studying history. If they love music, let them study music because they're collecting dots. I think yeah. when they're especially young, it's about the dot collection phase where you're just accumulating. So, th- well, this is where I think these things become, it's complex because on one hand, it's giving the space to explore and do things. But then like you're saying, this collecting dots is, we can see some parallels between like traditional education, right? It's like get, getting things, right? So, and this is actually something me and you had talked about before um, when we were looking at education and how it's changing, where it's like, well, if rote knowledge is all at our fingertips, you can go on your phone and look yeah. up essentially anything, uh, you know, instantly, why should you know, like, why is knowledge even that valuable? Because, okay, you know what year this happened. Well, you can Google that in two seconds, or you mm-hmm. know this or that. And so that made sense. And then as we talked more, there was realization, well, if you look at creativity and new ideas, you have to know what's there to then create something new, to recombine things, to bring things yeah. together, to then create something new. Like, you know, there's some, there's a quote, there's nothing new under the sun. Like, everything is here. Creativity often involves recombining new configurations, new perspectives, new ways of looking at things, mm-hmm. which requires this balance of knowing what's there, but being open to seeing something different. And so there seems to be a few ingredients that you're talking about. One is, now you, you know, you're talking about this knowledge base or uh, even skill base, you know, knowing things, knowing how to do things, knowing how things work, knowing about different theories and all sorts of things. But then there is this I think it also comes with like a, you know, call it a, a intellectual or epistemic humility where it's like, okay, this is how we understand things. But I think we have to teach that it's not the full truth, like with mm. a capital T, right? There's, this is the best we know now, yeah. but we have this openness to challenge it, to understand it better, which that itself can be contradictory to some forms yeah. of educational thinking where like, this is the truth, teach them the truth. Don't challenge what the teacher says. Don't challenge, you know, the ideas that have been presented to you because these are coming from these intellectual gods that didn't make yeah. a mistake. And so there has to be both of those, like the knowledge, but the sense that this is the best, which means we're going to keep getting better just like we've advanced. So there has to be that balance of know this, but also know that it's not the end. And we want to, you know, you're allowed to think about it for yourself, which also relates to the critical thinking that you're talking about involves being able to challenge what already exists because you can't, uh, you know, as I mentioned last, you can't advance without difference. It's not possible to make something better without changing something. Yeah. Uh, So I love that. So it's, if you think about it, people who are able to do interesting things in the world, creatively, intellectually, they have an intellectual courage. They are challenging. Mm-hmm. And so if you look at a classroom, though, if someone says, wow, this classroom is so well behaved. They listen to everything the teacher says. They never disrupt. They never challenge. 
That's a terrible class to mm -hmm. me. Because you actually, in that, for the teacher's perspective, if you want order in the classroom, that's ideal, a compliant classroom. And this is a, there's a cultural element to this, too. I see this in many countries. I mean, the, the United States tends to be a bit more individualistic, and we do at least tend to embrace creativity and, and some challenging of authority. There's other cultures in which that's completely frowned upon. I mean, you cannot even raise your hand and challenge, even if the teacher makes a clear mistake that everyone sees, they just kind of go along with it. That is not... If you want to build a country of factory workers, or if you want your child to be someone who can just sort of follow orders and be compliant, that, that works. But if you want someone who will have some element of intellectual courage and creativity and do something that's not only academically or in their careers good, but just in life, to approach life with a curiosity that this is the way things are now, I want to know the world, but I also know that it can be different. I also know that we can, we can advance it in certain ways. And that's where I think not only do you need to collect dots to be creative in terms of knowledge, you also need, I think, two other things. One is you need individual breakthroughs. You yourself need to be able to build that courage, that confidence that I can think in new ways, that I'm able to trust myself and I don't need someone else to tell me what to do. I don't need to receive orders from someone else from the outside. I can do this within myself. That's something you build up. That also to me is the, the dot collection process for creativity because you need that courage. The other thing I think is just relationships, because we learn so much not from just books and classrooms, but from other people, people that think differently than us, people that had a different background than us. And the more diverse and the more different their background and upbringing and way of thinking is from us, the more we can learn from them. Mm -hmm. So great creativity also often is very collaborative. Yeah. Even, you know, the scientific community, there's a great book by uh, Naomi Oreskes called Why Trust Science, I think was the title. And, you know, she was talking about how we often, you know, we hear diversity in science, people don't like it as this like politically correct and, you know, woke type of mindset that, uh, you know, people think we're just doing it as a token type of a thing. But she was explaining in that book, when you look at the scientific community or science in general, science, yes, we might think the scientific method is, is unbiased, which even that it's unclear because it's not, there's one clear scientific method and even it's evolved. There's some principles to it that have stayed the same. Um, but nonetheless, humans are doing science and humans have biases. And so she was saying, when you have a scientific community, the more diversity there is in experiences, ways of thinking, it's like the biases are more likely to wash out altogether mm -hmm. rather than if everyone thinks the same way. And that's what we see traditionally as white males doing science. And they, lo and behold, found that like white men were more superior than everyone else and certain things that were very self-serving because they were biased and they had the same way of thinking. So I think you're totally right that if we want to have more advanced thinking, it's interesting how as we're talking, this like link between creativity and critical thinking is becoming more clear that they are interconnected in ways yeah. I think we'll explore further throughout the show. Um, but that we need to have that, you know, that diversity. But another thing you were mentioning about this courage and, and, and things of that nature, which I think is really important that if someone wants to do something different, it takes some courage. Yeah. I think that's another element, a big ingredient in this recipe for creativity is that you're allowed to make mistakes or yeah. even that you're going to make mistakes. And, and even that if you haven't made any mistakes, that's a problem because that shows that you're not pushing, you're not trying things, you're not trying, you know, I've never, I've always been a little bit afraid. I, don't, I never even learned how to ride a bike. So I kind of, I know that there was some anxiety there, but when I see people that, that skateboard, for example, and they yeah. do tricks and they jump and they, and you just see them falling all the time. I admire that so much. I'm like, that's so cool that they have, you know, take some courage and some guts, but also they keep making mistakes and then they keep yeah. doing it. And then, you know, the, that amazing feeling when they finally learn the trick and they can do it and how great that is, but they had to embrace making mistakes. I'm gonna get it wrong 
a lot and over yeah. and over. And that's yeah. almost the opposite of most schooling is like, don't get any questions wrong. How many did you get wrong? Did you get them all right? And yeah. I remember having that feeling. I take a multiple choice test and it was like, just get everything right every time. This pressure. And it wasn't about like learning and thinking. It was about just not getting things wrong. So I think a big ingredient here that you're bringing up is this you're allowed to make mistakes. We encourage different ways of thinking. And I've seen this even in ways when I've been teaching classes, sometimes you're trying to teach a certain lesson and a student gives an answer that's totally off or off the wall or different. And there could be this reaction of frustration, like, no, no, we need to get back on track because mm -hmm. that's taking us too far off. But if you really want to encourage creativity, you have to allow for these different ways of thinking, expanding, make mistakes. Because if you don't make mistakes, there's no way you're pushing yourself and pushing the ways you can think and create things. Yeah, so many good things there. So I think one, just to this last point you touched on, uh, I think a teacher should be most excited and happy when they get surprised. Mm -hmm. Something that they didn't see coming, that veers them off course a little bit, but a new direction that they couldn't even foresee that helps the class grow and learn. I think that means the class is alive rather than a static class in which they're just basically, they're giving the information and the students are passively listening. But about the failures and being willing to tolerate mistakes, I think that is so, so important. Because if we think of it this way, let's use this analogy. We talked about artificial intelligence and nothing learns faster than AI in terms of they are able to accumulate knowledge very, very quickly in part because they don't feel the emotional sting of failure. When they make a mistake, they just knew more data, more information. They take it and they adapt and they adjust. No process of what human beings have, which is two things happen. One is the failure feels like, oh, are we bad? That I'm a bad person or I made a mistake. And we might not even want to try the thing in the first place because we're fearful of that feeling you get when you fail, when you fall, when you fail the test, when you look like you did worse than people around you. It feels terrible. Mm -hmm. And we might not even take that information back because we can't even look. We can't see it. We won't notice, oh, that was a mistake. I should learn from that. We don't want to say that because that's an indictment on us. That means I'm bad. And so... The more, so how do we, I think, combat that? I think it's two ways. One is we interpret those moments that we fall down off the skateboard as this is part of the process of learning. I know that I'm going to fall because if I'm not falling, I'm not trying new things. Mm -hmm. I'm not exploring. I'm doing the same things I've always done over and over again, and that's not leading to any growth. So that's part of the process. When I fall, here we go, I'm falling. There's going to be some of this. It's okay. And the second thing is it's not an indictment that I'm bad. It doesn't indicate that I'm, so there's something terrible about me that I've failed. This is every person who has succeeded, Albert Einstein, Thomas Edison, just name the person. They failed and failed and failed and fell. They kept trying over and over again. And so recognizing that our greatest geniuses, our greatest minds were courageous enough to try new things and fall, be rejected by others, and kept going is a sign that, okay, I'm in good company mm -hmm. if I fall down. Yeah, I mean, it's a very, again, it's like for a lot of people, it could sound the opposite of what we think is like getting it right, doing it perfectly, doing well. And of course, not to say those things are bad, but it's recognizing that there's such value in allowing yourself to make mistakes because you're so limited. It's the opposite of creativity is to feel like you can't get it wrong, you know, whether it's even in the sciences, but in art, any kind of thing to think differently. You have to think, okay, how, what if we think of it this way and try different things? And you mentioned sometimes there's like an orthodoxy and that's why sometimes someone outside of a field yeah. shows up and because they haven't gotten entrenched in this mindset of seeing it exactly this one fixed way, yeah. they can more flexibly look at it and like, oh, what about this? Or why do you have to do it this way? And all of a sudden it could be a breakthrough because everyone else was so fixed in that. So yeah, I think that's a big, big, big one and something that 
a lot of education is the opposite of that. It's like, how many did you get wrong? Minus three. You know, like you do a math like worksheet, this is minus three on the top yeah. or you do something. It's like, that's the, the focus is on how many you got wrong and eliminating those. So we are giving this message constantly, eliminate mistakes, don't make mistakes, don't make mistakes, rather than encouraging those types of things to happen, allowing for the mistakes to happen, allowing for the, the play to happen and the explore, exploration to happen, which means inevitably there will be mistakes, dead ends, you know, wrong decisions, all sorts of things like that. And so I actually think this theme of creativity is a really important one. We'll probably uh, um, continue it after the break. Yep. So with my brother Power, I'm talking about the three C's, critical thinking, communication, and creativity. We'll be right back. Welcome back. So uh, my brother Parham and I were talking about lately, it's been a lot on creativity. And we want to actually continue on that because we were talking about not making mistakes and how that's often the mindset we will have. Perfectionism is a very big part of this type of thinking where it's like just the only thing is not to get it wrong. And you can never really get it that right. If you have that mindset, you can never be creative and, and advance things. And so we could talk a bit about the mindset of creativity because uh, this is something I was alluding to earlier when you said teaching creativity and it's an interesting thing to talk about teaching because it's like, you know, you can't force creativity because a big part of uh, creativity is getting out of the way, even really yeah. getting out of our own way. But as authority figures or if you're someone talking to someone you want to encourage in creativity, a big part of it is you can't say think differently. You know, you can't push <laughs> it on them. It's more actually giving them the space to play and explore. So maybe we could talk a bit about this, the mindset of creativity, because Sometimes, you know, we th when we think of like doing something, we think of like push really hard and think so hard. But creativity is a lot more about letting go and allowing things yeah. to, to come about as they might. Yeah, there's even I think there's the research. You've, you've probably seen this as well, where they talk about how when they put a lot of restrictions, like time constraints on people in certain types of tasks, when it's very like, OK, just hammer this nail into this thing 100 times or whatever, then they do it more effectively. They do better when there's some constraints. But with creativity, it gets worse. They actually do it. They perform more poorly. So it is interesting because you want to um, create incentives for creativity, but the more you make it sort of rigid and constrained and try to impose it on people, it sometimes gets in the way of creativity. Because creativity, as you said, it's about a certain openness, an openness to explore and experiment. And I think this is why it's my favorite of the three topics to discuss how to teach, because it's the toughest one. It's a bit of a puzzle. Mm -hmm. and some of it is paradoxical. How do you do something in a structured way that's really like by design supposed to be sort of unstructured and open? And I think one of the things that comes to mind is, you know, um, the process of turning something that's creative into something useful sometimes does require some difficult, some thinking, some editing. So like writing, for example, is one thing I think about. The process of writing requires two different skill sets, I think, that are separate and they actually activate different parts of the brain. So one is the sort of exploring. You're just writing without any restrictions, any judgment, any inhibitions. You're not editing. If there's a mistake, you just keep going because there you're about idea generation. You just openly are exploring and letting yourself go. Mm -hmm. Then there's a separate process. You take those again, let's call it raw ingredients, but you take what's there, what you've created and you refine it, you edit it, you take things out. And you almost, I've heard some people say when they're writing or doing anything that's creative in this way, they go to different parts of their rooms are different. They go to a different location because they almost want their mindset to be completely different. They want mm -hmm. the mindset that's filtering and editing to be completely off, to be out when they're actually creating. And it's also helpful to know that, okay, I'm able to explore now, 
because I know in the back of my mind, I'm, I'm, I know that later I'll be able to fix this as I need to, because you do really need to have freedom. And I think when we're thinking about how, how schools teach, you know, you mentioned just, you know, measuring things by how many errors there are. The most creative things that we do involve lots of errors. Mm -hmm. They must, because then you're, then you're going to new terrain. The more new places you go to, the more there's going to be some flaws. And every once in a while it will be, well, this didn't really work out. The other thing is often a really, really good idea comes from the seeds of that were actually not a good idea. You see that a lot. Someone presents something to the table and they're like, oh, that wouldn't work, but, but if we do it this way. So you end up then having something. So that's why you want to really open about letting new things come in. Yeah, I mean, it's like there is this, like you're talking about these two different ways of thinking and there's always going to be an interplay. But that first part where you're creating, this is the part where I was on getting out of your own way. You know, if you want to say it's your frontal lobe or the more judgmental, critical side, which has value in certain areas. But when you're trying to play, you have to allow connections to be made without thinking what's the right new connection or the next step. Let the, the connections draw. And, um, you know, something about when we dream yes. is that the, those parts of the brain that are more the frontal lobe and more critical thinking sides are, are off. And that's why our dreams are so, you know, it's like, you're like it's not going to make any sense. But, you know, I was walking in the park and then all of a sudden I was on, on you know, on a ride in Disneyland, but then I was in my house. I don't know why I was in my house. but And so what we see there is like usually the connections have like something more about the emotional or something might be connected there and that's why it can be interesting to explore dreams at, at times like try to understand what maybe that does mean like why is there a connection there and a lot of creativity is that or good art is that where it's like somehow it makes you feel something or feel connected to something that you didn't even realize was connected or hmm. somehow making certain of those things and you have to allow it's almost like the, the feeling part to get there. You can't get there through thinking of how are these things similar? I have to like find the, the, the logical similarity between them. It's more of like this kind of emotional thing. So especially in art, you, I see that where it's like sometimes people make these connections. Like, oh, wow, that's so cool. I never hmm. thought of it that way. But there had to be some level of allowing it to to happen. And this is also why, you know, people will say when you're trying to be even like solving a problem, have some situation, sometimes you're thinking, 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 you feel stuck yeah. to, to step away from it go for a walk, do other things, um, you know, and, and, and that's why people sometimes when they have, the, they're in the shower, great ideas come to them, going for a walk, great ideas come to them because your unconscious is kind of like working through and making connections and might come to some kind of aha moment. But usually that aha moment doesn't come from like thinking and pushing hard on the idea. It's allowing yeah. the unconscious to actually make, make the connection. So even in science, we yeah. see this, you know. Yeah, that's so interesting about the unconscious because that, that's, again, the mystery of creativity is that a lot of things are happening behind the scenes, not at our conscious level. So you mentioned dreams. This is really interesting. I mean, so many great artistic discoveries have happened in people's dreams. Music, people have come up with songs in their dream. We That part, as you said, the frontal lobe is a bit yes, less, it's, uh, less active. And so we're more, we suspend disbelief. We don't question when, think about it, in your dream, if you're flying, there's no part of you. If that happened in conscious awareness, you'd be like, "What is happening?" You'd be scared. Mm -hmm. What is? But in our dreams, it's just we just go with it. So there's there's that that side is off, and so it allows for more creativity. The other thing that I think is a big opportunity for creativity that we miss today, you need to be a bit bored. You need idle time. It turns out that even, for example, one example is Einstein. He was a patent patent clerk. It was a very very sort of mundane, simple job, especially for someone as as bright as him, as intelligent as him. But it allowed for this sort of the process in the background for these ideas to kind of come together and synthesize in some ways. He was doing something kind of mindless. And sometimes that's what's needed. If we sort of, as you were saying, say, go and be creative right now, it's hard to. Mm -hmm. um, and also, if we just put it aside, it's all. But if we sort of have something that's kind of idle, 
That's why like the shower, often people have great ideas in the shower. They're doing something sort of mindless, but their mind is active. Things are happening. Today, I think because of smartphones, because of all the technology we have, there's what I call chronic entertainment. There's always something to do. We never are waiting to pick up our cup of coffee. Everything is sort of either we are doing something or we have a phone that's entertaining us. We have very few moments of boredom. It turns out, based on all the research, that boredom is necessary for creativity. The moments where we're doing nothing that we have so little of today are actually very, very critical to a lot of the creativity that we need for new ideas. And creativity doesn't necessarily mean you go make a great painting. It could just be like, oh, you have this business problem and you need a new approach. You want to expand your business and you, you're looking for a new way to do that. You want to train your kids to, to, to uh, I don't know, like a certain thing that you can share with them and you find a creative way to do that. So creativity is in all aspects of our lives. But that is suspended when we're always engaged with something that doesn't allow for idle time, for some moments of boredom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's a big, even uh, parents, you know, they feel like their their kids' time has to be occupied every minute, has to be scheduled and structured, and this is happening, and this is happening, and this is happening. And, and I see it a lot where, you know, kids say, I'm bored, and the parents feel like they have to do something about it. And it's not that you don't care if your child doesn't feel good, but allowing some of that, and even... Of course, the more they experience it, the more they get used to it. But when we were kids, we've talked about this, where we would like, mm-hmm. you know, come up with ways of playing things and doing things with very little like raw materials. And we would come up with something that, you know, that's a like creativity. Okay, we're going to tie a string from wall to wall and use a balloon and play volleyball, you know, yeah. do with like our, our cousins and things like that. And so if every moment was structured, you wouldn't get that opportunity for us to explore in that, in that way. And so, yeah, we need to do things. We try to distract ourselves constantly because even it's, it's entertainment in a way but it's almost like distraction more than really we're engaged even and it's not just artistic discoveries happen in dreams and in this kinds of moments scientific discoveries very regularly happen oh, yeah. in these moments even in dreams uh, i think the individual who discovered the shape of the carbon the dna double helix and the but, dna yeah. double helix yeah, yeah. like a lot of these things were you know there's a lot of scientific discoveries over dreams and even yeah. um there, it's interesting looking at the when you look at nobel prize winners in the sciences or in general i think it's in the sciences a disproportionate amount of them also were artists or did something performative, mm-hmm. either an instrument or something. I think the more it was performative, the better, because even in science where we think it's just critical thinking and logical and doing mm-hmm. it the right way, um, it needs creativity to see things differently. You have to be open to approaching things with a different way to have that kind of play, even with ideas. And so it's it's interesting to me because we sometimes think of thinking, that's interesting, think of thinking as the way yeah. that you approach something if you want to advance it. Yeah. But we see that how much play is involved. Um, and as you're saying, putting that critical thinking, even or that judgmental side offline a little bit, when you're exploring this is why you know this is why we even say there's no bad ideas when we're trying to brainstorm we say that so people don't feel that fear of being judged for giving a quote unquote wrong idea or yeah. a bad idea it's like there's no bad yeah. idea just say whatever comes to your mind because we're playing we're going to let this yeah. you know free flow happen so that we we can make something of those ingredients and we don't want to hold back any ingredient and that's actually why when people say if you're going to brainstorm the worst like it's worse if you just say okay let's all brainstorm together it's better to let everyone individually come up with ideas mm. And then share them because once we start talking a lot, people feel, oh, I should see it this way or I shouldn't see it that way. And so we lose a lot of the ideas and people get fixed in a certain mindset. And then it's not as creative as it would have been if they allowed everyone to fully express 
themselves. And then if we use that as analogy, yeah. it's like the different parts of your brain could be those different people. Allow the sure. I'm, I'm trying to be creative right now. It's very creative. Yeah, it's like I, the different parts of your brain are connecting yeah. and communicating. Let them do their thing rather than restricting it to just yeah. like this is the way we're going to see this thing. It would be a real shame if we're sitting here talking about creativity and, and we don't allow the new ideas or the creative spark surprises and sparks yeah. to come in. We should. Well, that's a good point. Even in this conversation, um, several things I've said today I had never thought of in that way. Yeah. And it only happened also in this kind of a play that we're doing, which is having the conversations, having the ideas come out. If I just thought about them on my own, I'm sure I can get to some creative places too, but there's a, this is a different kind of play, which is why... You know, I think it might sound contradictory because I was saying the brainstorming, that's a certain kind. But we do see that when we play, you brought up relationships before with others. You see musicians, they jam together and they come up with new things together. And especially if they're attuned, they can match and, and do certain things. So there also is this like, how do we encourage that kind of play too? So creativity is both, I think, an individual process, but a collective process too. And that's why I think it's part of creating that culture of creativity, like let's say yeah. in a school environment where it's like, yeah, individually we want you to reflect, but also we want you to play with one another in, in thinking and coming yeah. up with things to collaborate on. You know? Yeah. Well, there's a reason why there's no quote. You mentioned the quote, you know, there's no bad ideas or people say there's no no stupid questions. Uh, there are. There are. But, uh, of course there are. Some questions are great. Some questions are not as good. But it's really important to have that principle to not, because the thing we do most of the time is we're afraid to share our ideas. We're mm -hmm. afraid to ask the question that actually so many other people in the classroom might have. But everyone's fearful of looking stupid or, or saying something that might seem naive or all of that stuff needs to be put away because our, 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 we err on the side of being too cautious with those things, not allowing those things to explore. And it requires two things. One, it's the, the courage within ourselves, but also in, in an environment mm -hmm. where it's, it's allowed. I, I remember watching this um, it was a documentary on the Beatles. These are brilliant, brilliant songwriters, right? In so many ways, they, they change the world with their music. But what I saw was their process of creating music. It was a really in-depth documentary. It spent seven hours following them trying to create an album. And what you see is, despite all of the, the stories of their, their conflicts and their angst and them breaking up, when they're creating together, there was love. And they allowed themselves to just play. To just When it was the idea generation process, you could see that they're playing and they're doing it with love for each other. Mm -hmm. No one was questioning, oh, that's a bad idea. You never saw that. You never did. Once they were then to like refine and edit and decide, of course, there's a process. But when they're just in the exploration process, it was free. And I think that's so, so critical within ourselves and also in the groups that we're in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, it's hard to to maintain that. But, you know, as you're talking about the the not lack of judgment, those things like shame is like the, you know, so just against creativity. Because if you're afraid of being wrong, I can't make a mistake. I'm going to look bad. I'm going to do all these things. And so this is, again, a lot of these issues they interact in a variety of ways it's not just like okay teach creativity if you have a uh you know okay we want to teach creativity but there's a lot of shame and punishing and putting people down and making them feel bad about themselves in other ways even if it's like outside of the classroom or it's like you know some other element of the education you, you start to instill that and even as parents i was thinking that's why it's so important to of course not make your children feel shamed uh and who they are and how they are but also yourself acknowledging mistakes so if we're talking about yeah. making mistakes is okay you have to show that more than just say that it's okay to make a mistake but like mm. i never made one doesn't really yeah. make someone feel like it actually is okay and Absolutely. so I, I do see this in a lot of cultures but persian culture we see this a lot too where the authority has to be perfect or we think it has to be perfect, never wrong i remember when i was um doing an internship at the U usc student counseling center and they showed us this video it was about learning about different cultures 
cultures and experiences of international students from different cultures and what they've experienced so that if we worked with international students, maybe getting some cultural perspective. And for me, it was quite funny because there was one Iranian student, you know, international student, and he was talking in this video and he said, you know, a few things like, surprised him. One was that people were eating in class and he couldn't believe that. That was shocking. And that one, you know, kind of, okay. But the second one that it made me laugh was um, he said, you know, I was in a class and uh, the professor, someone asked him a question. The professor said, you know, I don't know that. Let me look <laughs> into it and, and get back to you. He, the way he's like, I couldn't believe it. In, wow. in my country, a professor would never say they don't know. Even if he doesn't know, and I'm sure he said he, <laughs> even if he doesn't know, he would give you some answer. And I yeah. thought it was so interesting, but yeah. that shows how, unfortunately, in our culture, there's a lot of things. And one of them is this like black and white about authorities. Like either you know everything or you know nothing. You know, it's like yeah. if you're smart, you have to be right about everything. You can never say you don't know. And unfortunately, that's going to completely stifle all types of creativity, all types of engagement. And even that really it's going to interfere with progress, because when you don't look at something realistically to see that there are flaws because it has to be perfect, obviously, you're going to miss you know, areas of growth, areas where you need to evolve. But it was just, I was kind of laughing and they were all like nodding. Yeah. They're like, oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, I should keep that in mind. But to me, it was just like kind of hilarious that it's like, yeah, the authority figure has to be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think it's rooted in shame, first of all, to say yeah. that I have to always be perfect because every single one of us, and I've seen people that are Nobel Prize winning scientists and they're still curious. They don't know certain things. They're still open. That yeah. mindset is what led them to get to where they are, actually. Right. Is that openness and that that joy of seeing something that they never knew before. It's mm -hmm. a very different mindset to think, oh my God, I know everything. And if something is outside of that, that means I'm flawed. That's yep. the shame again. Well, it's shame. I think it's like part of how we create what does it mean to be an authority or what right. does it mean to know stuff? If you know stuff, you know everything, which is just stupid because it's like impossible to know yeah. everything, even in a moment, let alone things are evolving. And, you, and you, we've talked about the story, like Daniel Kahneman was at a talk and he went up to someone and it's like, oh, thank you so much. Like, I realized I was wrong about this mm -hmm. because, like, you know, you made almost like basically saying you made me realize I was stupid about this topic and thanking him so much for making him realize he was wrong about this. Whereas most of us, we really don't want to be wrong. No. It's hard for us to be wrong or we think it makes us look this way and that way. And we might even challenge it. So I thought it was a really cool story of someone as brilliant as him that he was really encouraging someone and, and praising them. Thank you for proving me wrong because I learned yeah. from that. Well, Kahneman, you see, he embodies that. It's not just the story that's, yeah. he, he's that way. I see him when he's hearing someone speak, someone who's 40 years younger than him and he's probably more knowledgeable, let's say, objectively, but he, he has something to learn from everyone. Yeah. And I think that, that approach, that way of looking at the world um, is, um, in some ways, I think there's a safety in saying, I already know everything. Oh, sure. It gives you a certain comfort. It almost makes the world a less anxious place. Oh, and it's so and happy. it's a safety in my authority knows everything. Then after the war, he's never wrong. She's Both never wrong. Both sides benefit, yeah, right? In exactly. a world of in a world where you're anxious and, and there's some uncertainty, it's really nice to think, oh, this person knows everything. Exactly. It's much safer. Let's. Uh, we know everything, though, guys. Just to let you know, this is just different. This exactly. Is... This is a different topic. So, of course, we know it. How could we? How could have had anything I've said been perfect? Every word I've said has been flawless. But speaking of being flawless, we're late for commercial break. So let's go to that and we'll be right back. Welcome back. So we, um, I think we talked, we were going to talk about three C's. We've only really talked about one, which no, is very it's, creative. It's, it's very creative. Time. It's too creative. It's also, I would say the other two C's, critical thinking, communication. We're not using our thinking no, because we keep talking about communication. And we're well. communicating. Limited. Limitedly. That's okay. So. But let's get to, you know, we're actually over the, during break. Limitedly is not a word, by the way. Just I want to make sure. Creative, very creative. It's creative. Um, looking at creativity, even, you know, we're talking about in this abstract way, which I, I think is very interesting and maybe it's kind of funny because I think that's both of our comfort zones at times yeah. is talking about things 
in the intellectual abstract way rather than the personal way or even talking about play but maybe we should play a little bit too but we're talking about for ourselves becoming more creative or expressing more of that and i think that's why you know i can speak for myself it's very much about that getting out of the way and not wanting to get it wrong being the things that you know interfered with it and so it's something i've been exploring much more um, and if i think about where i express my creativity the most it would always be around close friends and family mm -hmm. because I felt safer there because I could make mistakes, I could get it wrong, I could show different sides of myself. Yeah. And so I'm trying to expand on that or make it easier to to share that with others. But I, thought, I think we could talk a bit about our own personal experiences yeah. with creativity and what's gotten in the way and, and all that. So yeah, um, yeah, maybe if, if you'd like to sh share a bit about that. Wow, okay. So, before I do that, I want to intellectualize a little bit more. Just Beautiful. one quick thing, quick aside, quick aside. I was just thinking about how when we were little, you were talking about how, because I do think children are naturally creative. I think all children have such a vivid, beautiful imagination. And the world sort of starts to sometimes take that out of them. And I think that's our fault. And ours, I mean by like adults and acculturation. Me, me and, and you. Just us. To every Fatty didn't pat home. Yep. Um, we did this. We stifled creativity in children. No, it, it is something that's so natural to do because there's a safety in making them just like us. I think we should be open and curious. We were saying how Daniel Kahneman, this brilliant, brilliant mind, is so curious about the world, about others. We should be curious towards children even. We were just talking about this with Batiste, who's uh, our technical director here, doing a wonderful job, and about how even children can teach us things. We should have an open mind and curiosity even to them because they all see things with fresh eyes. They're not steeped in all the acculturation and all the things we've done to adapt and mold ourselves to this world, and maybe they'll have things that we haven't seen. I think we should open our minds even there. But you think even, I mean, I think it's like very, like they, a lot, they teach us constantly. They if do. You, if you look at them like very, you know, like they, they show you, or even they make you realize like how you think about things. Like, yeah. Oh yeah, like we think of this as so obvious, but they, they you know, anyway, I think yeah. it's very clear. But I don't want you to dodge the question because okay. it was personally made it intellectual. I know, I did it, that's what we do. So here's the thing, so to speaking to that, you know, I do think that, um, I, okay, let's get personal. I always had this emotional intensity from when I was very, very little. I think I, I felt things, I would feel things with a lot of, a lot of anxiety, even I would say, a lot of worry. And so the emotional world became a lot to take. And my way of escaping that, the difficult emotions, was through thinking. Mm -hmm. So through analyzing and thinking, I was able to navigate difficult, difficult emotions, things that felt even overwhelming thinking was my way out. It almost felt like a superpower to be able to do that. And I think that's probably why I gravitated towards fields like the law, like economics, especially at the level of um, academia, doctoral studies, PhD studies, where you're doing it in a very sort of hyper-intellectual way. And it was using analytical thinking, critical thinking, which we haven't talked about, uh, to navigate the world. But the creative side, the feeling side, feeling the world... I think I kept associating with those difficult negative emotions and so I would suppress that. That to me was almost weakness, vulnerability, to feel with too much intensity. I will say this, off the air, I told Fadid I think we should, um, I'm going to try to speak in s shorter sound bites and this has already been the longest. Very crazy. So that was, yeah. But I, you know, what you said was, you know, it was <laughs> when you said superpower, it was interesting because even when I thought a superhero, what do they do? They save you from something dangerous, mm -hmm. right? So the feelings mm. felt dangerous, so you go to nice. the superpower. And so there is that, that feeling, it's very, it's, it's comfortable. And it's, so it's like going to that discomfort um, for everyone, you know, it's like, there's a lot of quotes on this and I wish I, I had one of them. 
memorize off the top of my head about basically the thing you fear the most, like that's where your biggest challenge. Like Jung has a quote like that. Mm-hmm. Joseph Campbell has like something about the, the cave you you um, fear to enter has the, the treasure you seek or something can I like say, that. Can I, there's a roomy, it's like your wound is your light. It's a simple oh, one. Yeah. But yeah, where your sort of pain is, is actually where... That's where the light comes through. That's where the light comes through. And so, things. you know, and we just are going into those challenges. It's, it's hard. And so, you know, you're talking like there's a vulnerability in general about being creative, taking risks in any any way. And even that even that word vulnerable, we were kind of joking on the break because I always, it's a very hard word, even, you know, as a native, I was born in the United States, yeah. vulnerable. It has some sounds you rarely have back to back. And it can be very hard for Iranians to say it. So yeah, I've it seen with a lot of clients. How like, would they say it? Had- well, it's like almost the way it, it sounds to me is like they're going underwater, which <laughs> itself is very vulnerable, right? It's like how it feels yeah. to go underwater. So it's like vulnerable. Like it right. kind of has a vulnerable kind of. I wish you could see Fadid's face when um, he does. He's literally, his face goes under as if he's. I'm going down underwater. He shows you. And it's actually interesting because when you are vulnerable, it feels like you're almost like dipping your head in the water or you can't yeah. breathe or you're going. So I, I, I really always uh, enjoyed that as like a. For myself, it's like it's a hard word. Every time I'm saying it, I have to slow down, so I, I understand. It's a vulnerable and, word. It makes you feel vulnerable. I, and don't worry, just hear me speak Farsi for uh, eight seconds, and you'll find a, a word that I say just as poorly. So oh, yeah. um, I'm pretty vulnerable oh, when I try to speak yeah. Farsi. But th- there is a vulnerability in being emotional, being creative, tapping into that, and that's why I think we connect so deeply with artists when we feel them because mm. they're they're showing us that or we've talked about this like sometimes i'll see someone perform a song or do something and it's kind of really almost like weird you know and i, I don't want to say that word because it can come off judgmental but it's weird that it's so out there but i love it i, mean, I have so much yeah. respect that they're going for it. they're like, okay let me try this thing where i sing really in a strange way or i do this in some different way and and i think it's wonderful because they're taking such a risk or such vulnerability in just going for it like that that I really really respect also I think because I think it's just admirable in general but because I think we both have some of this of being afraid to do that so like oh wow look at that person doing that thing I wish I could do we could do it it just takes that risk going into that vulnerable vulnerability yeah well you're pretty vulnerable the way you said that word that was pretty good I I'll tell you this though I think that's why we love artists I think everyone even if they themselves are not the most creative person or they would they would present themselves as not being that way we do love music Mm -hmm. and movies and we are drawn to that because we love to see people express themselves authentically. That's what we're after. And that's what we're, we're aspiring to, to see, to, to be ourselves. And if we can't do it ourselves, at least we can watch others who are being that way. And, and it does, like you said, take some courage. Yeah. Because it's a risk. Art is always a risk. It's much, much safer to do something that's uh, expected of you or yeah. that others have already done. To do something new, it's a risk. Yeah, I think, you know... Um Someone said it to me once this way, I thought it was really powerful that, you know, artists become like gods to people, you know, and that's some of, that. some of it's about a lot of factors, but they become like these gods, so they're like superhuman. But the way uh, they had expressed it was like, it's not that they're superhuman, it's that they're super at being human, or they didn't say it exactly that way, but basically they're being so human because they're connecting so deep and expressing that what's there so, so raw. Yeah. that we're not used to that. And that's what we connect to. So it's not like they're gods, they're above. They're actually being even more human than we're allowing ourselves to be. I love that. I think it's the most human thing we do. I think at our most human, you know, if you see, again, I will go back to us as we are, we come into this world um, as, as authentically what we are. We, we are what we are. There's no, and then over time, I think to fit into the world or to receive love, we, we basically begin to suppress parts of ourselves. There are things that we feel, you're not supposed to feel this right now. You're not supposed to do this right now. Other people won't. Because you need that love. You're so desperate for it that you will do whatever it takes to get the attention and love of others. And so we suppress parts of ourselves. We become this thing that we wear these costumes. 
Mm-hmm. We go around in the world and we have these costumes on. We've suppressed so much of who we are. I think the journey of life is to go back to authentically what we are. Yeah. I really do. And, and I think we have that, we lose it, and then it's about going back and finding what that is. I think great art in any medium, in any, in any form, is raw honesty. Yeah. It's vulnerable and it's honest. And I think, you know, that um, authentic self, I, I talk about that a lot, and I think it's a complex thing because I think there are some core parts of us or things about us that are authentic. And then a big part of, of being authentic is authentically responding in the moment, you know, mm. because it's yeah. always when we think about this true self, it almost could sound like the static thing, like you are always this, you're always that. And, and again, I think there are some parts of our personality or things we want to express that might be that way. But a lot more about being authentic is responding to the moment, which means yes. it's not, you know, predetermined or has to be within these certain realms. And so actually creativity going on, on that uh, note life is a creative it can be and i think we should make it a creative endeavor that even your relationships your conversations have that creativity where you can play and if you think about it you see someone and it's like we know kind of greeting you have to keep it you know these certain things and some of those formalities can be good in giving us some comfort in the moment overall but it can be so nice to have creativity even in your everyday life your communication which means you allow for things to happen not has to fit some script and so i think people when they think oh are you creative they think oh i don't sing i don't do art right. I don't this so i'm not creative but creativity really can be in all aspects of your life you can incorporate that mindset of being open of playing of you know getting yeah. things wrong at times of not feeling you have to follow a script or yeah. wear a costume or do all those things yeah i think the i think life is at its best in those off script moments where people are uh, not you know, even if you're I don't know, ordering a coffee from someone the moment that you give them something they they didn't expect and they give you a real raw moment where they're being themselves that's my favorite and, and when we're that way too so i think it is not just something we do in this discrete time i'm going to go paint for one hour and the rest of my day i'm not creative yeah um i remember um to show how it like can be in the most mundane things i was in a plane and there was this child this little boy behind me with his dad and he couldn't believe i think it was his first time on a plane he he couldn't believe how amazing what he was experiencing was he, he, he kept he's like daddy i can't believe it I can't believe it. We're above the clouds. I can't believe he just he kept exclaiming how great it is. And then he literally said this. He's like, I'm so happy, Daddy. Aww. He was so happy to be in this plane. And I was just like, when do we lose this? This is this is how I mean, when you think about the thing that that kid had that is common with art, artists are the same way, the best. They see things with fresh eyes. They see things new. They notice things we didn't see. That's art at its best. So I was just like, when do we lose this? this is, and the dad was, of course, he's heard all this stuff a thousand times, right? So he's mm-hmm. kind of tired. He's like, yes, it's we're above the clouds. So what was funny though, like I was just, God, when do we lose this? How do we, how do we keep it? Forty minutes later, the boy, uh, I hear in the back, he's behind me. He says to the dad, "Daddy, is it just clouds, or is this?" Is there, I'm kind of tired of the clouds. So, <laughs> so 40 minutes, that's all we have. I realized 40 minutes of wonder, that's all we get. And then it's, <laughs> it was just like the rest of us. We're just tired of the plane. Yeah, I, I mean, we do get, like, that's part of our, uh, you know, we get accustomed to things. Like, there's, like, hedonic treadmills, things that we experience. But having that, you know, when we talk about being in the moment, also, you know, the mindfulness. Uh, and actually, creativity involves a lot of mindfulness. You have to be with yourself. connecting. Absolutely. But that mindfulness is looking at what's there and trying to recognize it. Uh, taking it in and enjoying what's there much more, the gratitude, all those things definitely um, intersect. We're, we're at another commercial break. Maybe we'll, we might touch on critical thinking and we'll communication. See. We'll see. It's been a lot about creativity um, and not really communicating everything in a critically thinking way. But let's go to a commercial break. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. 
Welcome back. Um, we were talking about on the break how we were talking about getting personal and not intellectual, and then we kind of quickly went back to super intellectual. intellectual. But anyway. Yeah. Um, but yes, for both of us, we have actually been exploring being more creative. You actually started doing stand-up comedy, and then I followed in your footsteps like I used to when I was like five years old. You'd start <laughs> playing basketball, and then I'd start playing That's basketball. Funny. Think for yourself, everybody. But yeah, you know, it was something I wanted to do for a while, and then you doing it allowed me to, I think, feel more open to it like you know i think trying new things is not easy for me i'm good at being consistent and doing certain things which has value but then i can mm -hmm. l sometimes lack the flexibility of trying something new and letting go in some ways and so i'm trying to embrace that more and more or just getting out of my own way and trying different things been working on a song with someone doing stand-up yeah. comedy um thinking about doing a one-man show in you and i we've been preparing for uh, september 10th we're having our big What's happening September 10th? <laughs> Shameless plug. We're having an event for the, the radio station. I uh, <laughs> hope you'll all be there uh, here in Los Angeles at the Dolby Theater September 10th. But Powerhome and I will, will do, you know, I don't know if it's just, people already can know, a short presentation of sorts. And we're trying to be creative with that and come up yeah. with that. And It's a surprise, but... Now you know the well, surprise. Well, it's, it's a surprise to us, too, because we're not sure it's what we're surprise. doing yet exactly. But we, we, have, we are surprises we tell you in advance. Actually, there are some surprises at the Dolby show that no one knows. I don't even know what one of them is. Yeah. So we'll see. Nobody knows. We'll all, we'll all see that night. Yeah. But in preparing, it's been you know involving us to um, you know being creative. And we felt a lot of these things we talked about, the anxiety of the vulner vulnerability, the vulnerability, the risks it takes, the trying something new, the getting it wrong, even like the the, the anxieties that come with being on stage, all those things uh, you know we've we've been experiencing. So personally, I, I know I've seen it in you and in myself, um, taking those riskier routes and allowing ourselves to play and explore a little bit. And it's exciting and scary at the same time, I think. And I, I encourage everyone. That's why actually the, the end of my shows, I've been saying, be kind and take risks. It's yeah. related to some of these things, it's not just about creativity, of course, but that's one aspect of it that I think is important to allow ourselves to get it wrong, try things, be bold yeah. and do something different. Well, I'll just say from personal experience, I've been on both sides of this. I've been someone who didn't do much that was creative. I think I, there was a desire for it within me, but I just didn't feel like it's my place to do that. I can't mm -hmm. even, even being, um, being funny or, or telling stories out loud in front of people, I kind of kept the things to myself. I was a little bit more quiet and introverted. Um, and so I've been on that side of it where everything was very uh, calculated and not much room for creativity. And then more and more, increasingly, I've tried to open up to that more. And I will just say life is much more colorful and rich yeah. when you approach life in that way. And not just when you're doing the specific creative act, but it just it begins to impact all of the things that you do. So you start to you look at the world in a much, I think, again, I'll just say it's more color and more richness because um, you're paying more attention. You mentioned mindfulness. I think a big part of art, and this is going to sound strange, but I think artists are paying more attention. They're just, they're noticing more things and they're picking things up more. And I think art naturally does that. So even when you, let's say, whatever type of art you're expressing yourself through, once you do that, then when you go out in the world, you're looking for more... Uh, content or more things to inspire you, more sources of inspiration from people and from things. And that itself makes life a little bit more interesting. So I think if you've completely suppressed the creative side, and this could be to anyone, regardless of the career you're in, because some careers are naturally much more creative than others. But I think opening ourselves up to that makes for a much more, I think it's being a full human being. And I do really believe we are at our highest form as human beings when we're being somewhat creative. And that, again, I, I'll say, like, when you see someone who's a extraordinarily public speaker I think there's a creative side to what they're doing um, there's there's content and there's information and knowledge that they're sharing but they're doing so when they're at their best in a creative way mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and and so we can you know since we just have a little bit of time left, I know you, we won't get too much into the other two C's that you mentioned. But I enjoyed we were being creative and not staying on task exactly. Um, but there's communication and critical thinking. Which one would you want to jump into next? Let's communicate about critical thinking. Okay, that was confusing. Um, but yeah, <laughs> but yes, critical thinking. Critical thinking. So I think critical thinking is really important because. Um, it's the one I think foundational thing you need to do anything well in the world, right? So if you're talking about the way we explore learning mathematics, learning literature, learning even art, the first step is how do we how do we begin to process the information that's coming to us, and that fundamentally is about critical thinking. Mm -hmm. So I think critical thinking is essential, especially in a world that is exceedingly complicated and complex. Yeah. That sounded like a, a movie trailer in a world. But I think it's um, very, you know, it's interesting. Maybe we can, we'll, we'll just leave it at two C's, which is a color in Farsi, two C. Mm -hmm. But, um, and that's, you know, that's interesting. That's kind of how creativity also works in different languages. Like you hear things and understand things because of, of that. And, and that's actually uh, a lot of research on that. When you learn more than one yeah. language, you tend to be more creative because you already just through language see things in different ways. Because language isn't just words to describe things. It yeah. has judgments and biases and perspectives that are embedded in language. There, there isn't a you know, way of creating language without that. But what you're bringing up, I think it's interesting because it, there is these two critical thinking and creativity. They can be almost uh, like opposites in some ways yeah. or opposed in some ways. Or, yeah. But I do think you need both. And even when you're talking about being creative or creating some kind of art, you want to do both. Have the creativity where you play completely without thinking and then yeah. the more editing might even be more judgmental. If can figure out what you want to release out into the world or Absolutely. share might be more of the critical thinking side. So I actually think those are two sides of a coin that, that if you can balance those two are, are really wonderful. But they can be hard to balance because at times they can be mutually exclusive, at least in a moment or at a certain instant or perspective yeah. that can make them challenging, but they're both very valuable. Yeah, it's um, it's interesting because we've spent all this time talking about the importance of suspending, in some ways, the critical side of us, mm -hmm. the judgmental side of us. In critical thinking, the word critical is in there. So yeah. it's about being able to decipher, okay, this is true and this is something that I can't believe. This is a statement that is based on false presumptions and I can put it aside. And so it's much more structured. So what do we do with these two things that seem at odds with each other, paradoxical? Why do we need both? It's because depending on the context that you're in, you're going to require more of one or more of the other. Mm -hmm. Now, they can both marry each other in certain areas. You need some critical thinking and creativity to do a, a brilliant new intellectual scientific discovery, for example. But in different contexts, you need to put aside emotions, I think, for the most part. And, and I, I know that the two are almost intertwined. They're always there. But... Um, for example, you might say that, you know what, I don't believe, um, I think the, the market is going to keep keep going up because it's gone up in the last two years and I've had such a great experience, that'd be lovely. That's an emotional reaction. There you need critical thinking because there you need to be able to analyze past data and be able to make a calculated decision on what to do with your money. Yeah. That is not a place for you to be too creative or too open or too impacted by emotions in an overwhelming way. You know the emotions, you even should, I think, as a therapist, you would probably say, notice the emotion. Oh, notice that I'm... You can't think yeah. without feeling. I, you I can't, think. yeah. But I think what's really important, especially with being mindful and present, is to notice, okay, it seems that, for example, I had a really bad experience here. It's almost a traumatic thing. Therefore, my interaction with that is going to be shaped mm -hmm. by that negative feeling that I have about it. Okay, let me notice that, identify that. But if I'm making decisions 
based on that that high emotional valence event, I might make a poor decision. That's where you need critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Or this argument, it's something that validates what I already believe, therefore it feels good, therefore I'm more inclined to believe it. This other belief someone presented to me, I have to recalibrate and reassess things I already know. That creates anxiety, therefore I'm going to put it aside. I don't want to know that. Yeah. But if you're going to make good decisions in life, you need to be able to decipher between those things. That's where you need a little bit of structure. So does this challenge... Uh, some of the things we're talking about, about suspending all of this, this this critical side, it does. But in certain contexts, in certain domains, it's needed to yeah. thrive in the world. Otherwise, you're going to be lost if you're just relying on emotions all the time. Yeah, I think it's like, you know, it's bringing them both together because you really cannot be... Because you're, if you're thinking, you are this being that also is feeling. So yeah. you're thinking... It's, it can never be completely devoid of your feelings, both in emotions about that specific thing and also your core affect, a, a term that I came across in a book recently of how you're kind of feeling overall, like your body, everything, if you're hungry, you're hot, you're cold, those things are going to affect how you are approaching anything. And so that's where the mindfulness does come in of being aware of what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. What are my what what is my feeling state right now? What are feelings that I have about this? You know, even like you're saying, what would be the cost of being wrong here for me that maybe yeah. I don't want to change my mind, yeah. right? So I'm like, "Oh, no, no. No, this is right." And you realize, "Okay, uh, I have a bias towards this. I've told people I believe this or I've, you know, you know, let's say I've gone on the air here and talked about something. Right. Obviously, I'm going to feel differently about something I've declared on the air that I think. Yeah. And if someone presents it, I'm going to be a little more defensive because, oh, that's going to mean I said something wrong or I did this, going back to things we've talked about. So there is still like that flexibility as I'm talking about it out loud, recognizing you have to have that flexibility that we talked about in the art. Uh, doesn't mean everything is equal to everything, but that being aware of, okay, what I think, how I see it, it might not be the whole truth and I have to be mindful of that too. And also we're never unbiased. We always have them there. Awareness of the biases helps us minimize their impact. Pretending like they're not there gets us in trouble. Absolutely. I think even in terms of, uh, we're talking about doing creative things. For me, that was in part shaped by thinking. I mean, it was me thinking to myself, I want to live a full and complete life. I feel like I'm suppressing a certain part of me by always relying on thinking and suppressing emotions. I saw myself in instances in which really it was important for me to tap into what am I really authentically feeling right now? And I wasn't really able to do that well. So I realized some part, so that was through thinking, thinking, analyzing, assessing, honest assessment of where we are in life. I think a lot of times we got a most important thing in critical thinking, I think is trying to identify our biases. Yeah. If my bias is, for example, you and I both, um, I think we talked about sort of the perfectionism and wanting to never be wrong. And so we ended up exploring domains in which we'd already had thrived, we already had some experience in, but new things maybe we didn't go into as much. So reckon, okay, this is my bias. My bias is towards maybe inaction and not taking the plunge into something where I'm going to look stupid or I'm mm-hmm, going to fail at mm-hmm. the beginning. Yeah. Recognizing that through thinking, and then you throw yourself in there. And then when you're doing that, maybe you try to be more in the moment and feel. But I think, you know, it's really important to get yourselves in, 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 in context in which you can feel emotions that you want to and be in the moment. Sometimes you need to think your way to get yourself in those positions. It's Yeah, I mean, it, but you have to be careful because you might come up with a way to get yourself there. 
because you want to feel that way, right? And then you might think it's I'm thinking there to clearly get there, but we're very good at justifying anything we want, right? Sure. Like, oh, we, we shouldn't go. No, it's stupid to go on a Wednesday. Who goes on a you know? And we come up with these reasons that yeah, yeah, it's so good that I'm not going, but it might be that we're anxious about it. Or so it, you know, even being critical with ourselves in that way, critical in a non-judgmental way, but understanding is that okay, what am I? What am I feeling? What are my thoughts? And and. And it's tough because there's a certain level of like, if we're too flexible, then we we don't have, we're not standing on anything, but then if we're too rigid, it collapses more easily. It's And it's not easy, but I, I think the, you know, the emotional piece that's so interesting for me is that even when we think like, oh, that makes sense, there's a feeling of resonance. There's a feeling of certainty that is part of that process. It's not just a thinking thing. When something seems, you know, you say that feels right to me and feels yeah. like, oh, it shouldn't be about feeling. Yeah that's something that we experience there's something about certainty there's something of like i should go in that direction sometimes we feel certain we should go in that direction sometimes i'm like kind of it's 51 percent, so i'm gonna go in that direction sometimes right. it's like 95 yeah. and we have these different kind of confidence intervals that we don't think about but we just experience when we make decisions so uh, even a feeling of certainty actually is is just that a feeling of certainty it's not just a thinking of certainty and i think this is where there always is going to be an interplay between our feelings and our thoughts that the mindfulness makes us more aware of it rather than some people want to pretend like the feelings aren't there. Yeah, well, I, I think we have to, I think that's what mindfulness does, is it helps us identify the feelings that, you know, the things that end up being like our dictators are the unnoticed feelings, the unnoticed. So those are things that are shaping us and moving us. And when we're at our worst, we're not even noticing that they're there. We're making decisions on the basis of those, presuming that they're rational, this is be being rational calculated, right? I just had a gut in, intuition that I should do that. But really it's some, some, some bias. It might be that, I'm not, let me give you an example. For me, it would be like trying something new. Let's go jumping in and doing stand-up comedy, uh, which I wanted to and was excited about, but I thought this is, I'm scared of it. I kept justifying it. You know mm -hmm. what? I'll be better if I do it in six months. Let me prepare more. That's yeah. rationalizing. Or no, this is not the time to do it. Or no, why, why? I can come up with a hundred reasons why using my rational thinking, seemingly, to rationalize it. But really, it's fear. Yeah. So if I didn't, until I identified that it's really because I'm fearful of it, that's the main reason that's, that's dictating all of the other reasons, then I haven't done anything. So I completely agree that it's about identifying what the feelings and emotions are so that we can begin to notice the biases and put them away yeah. or act, have countermeasures against that. Like I've noticed that my bias is towards not taking the plunge into something that's a little bit risky. So I've tried to do that more. If something feels risky, dive in. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you know, when people talk about overthinking, I'm, I'm an overthinker, what they're usually doing is they think themselves to a conclusion they feel comfortable about, even if it's not a pleasant one. So someone who has some anxiety about being liked by people or let's say they're dating someone so they go on a date and then they think about the interaction and they think they're overthinking and it seems like that's a productive thing i'm thinking more about the thing but what they tend to do is just think to the conclusion they're like oh you know when i said this they said that if they really liked mm -hmm. me they would have said this when i and it's it's not overthinking it's i just want to get to a conclusion yeah. i feel comfortable about which is you know it's easier for me to just think this person doesn't like me it confirms what i already believe i don't have to deal with the anxiety of then interacting with them further yeah. it's like oh yeah see i, I over thought and now I see this conclusion but it's not really productive thinking it's just no. I want to convince myself of a reality that is more comfortable for me yeah. and we're constantly doing that that's why these things about awareness is so important like you know what? yeah I know I have a tendency to think people don't like me because it's easier for me so I have to challenge that which feels uncomfortable just exactly yeah. and giving yourself that space to sit in that discomfort very very hard but it's something that you know we want we want to encourage ourselves to do. So we're we're at our last commercial break. After break, maybe we'll talk some more about critical thinking. Maybe we'll be creative and just talk about a totally new topic. We'll find out. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back. So going into our last segment here with my brother Powerhome, we uh, promised to talk about three C's, and I feel like it's funny. Did we promise? Because, I guess we did, yeah. I mean, I mean, promise might sound dramatic, but we, we, we said, I think it's interesting because in communication, one of the things is being clear and being complete. And then it'd be yeah. funny if we just didn't talk about communication at all. So although shorter, it would be very creative. It would be creative yeah. just to cut it out. But because we have a little bit of time left, we might just touch on it a bit. Uh, I know I've seen you give full talks on just communication itself. So we won't be getting into most of that. But what what would you, you know, when you talk about communication and education, what are some of the thoughts, you know, if we can boil it down to a few things using critical thinking, what can we, <laughs> uh, you know, talk about there? So I think, communication to me when we first think about it like how can I be a great communicator it's how can I talk better mm-hmm. or how can I talk so that people will listen and people will um, be persuaded by it and I think I would actually begin with the mindset of listening and empathy so it's much more outwardly directed it's about focusing on the other person it's about taking in fully what they're giving you which is not just the words So if you give me a transcript of what someone said, I'm only getting a fraction of what they actually are giving me in terms of communication. It's about taking fully everything that they are. So noticing that when they're talking about this topic, their eyes light up and they get excited. This means something to them. You should be picking that up. If you're really listening, that's part of it. And so all of that is, I think, integral to great communication because what I think is the biggest part of communication is understanding what the other person is. Yeah, I, I didn't listen to a word you said because I was thinking of what <clears> I'm going <throat> to say next. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to point out, no, I want to point out how poorly Farid Holakwi, Dr. Farid Holakwi on his show had his brother pouring his heart out. And I was listening to everything you were saying, I promise. <laughs> it was just to make the joke of it because I think I was trying to make the joke of it too. I know. I, I know you're I a very good listener. Very good listener. At times. But I think, most you know, that's the important um, element of it is, like you said, most people think, oh, how do I become a better communicator? It's like, how do I talk better, give better presentations, which can be, it's part of it. it that's not part of communication. But people miss so much of that part of genuinely listening, which is not just with your ears, it's with, with really all the senses taking in someone. So really when you talk about communication, to me, it's about relating, right? It's about yeah, how do we relate yeah. to people, relate to others. And it's not just about verbal language. Everything you do is communication, right? The way even you're talking about taking in their face, how you're expressing your, your face and how your you know body language, all those are part of it. So really to me, communication is about relationships and how do we interact with one another yeah. and so it includes even the mindsets like being non-judgmental being open being accepting being connected recognizing your own you know whatever it is what you're going through what they're going through it's like it's like a whole whole thing and i think unfortunately people think of communication of and also i think especially in western society communication wise boils down to like how do you get people to like do what you want yeah. through how you talk you know so uh we, we've talked about this where it's like there's like six ways to make people think you care mm-hmm. about them you know mm-hmm. so it's like nod your head like this and yeah. go and say their name a lot and and you've yeah. and I, i've interacted with people that you can tell they've learned some of these techniques and it feels very inauthentic like they're saying my name too many times or like they you know are counting how how many times you're doing this or that and you feel yeah. you don't feel connected to them so a big part of communication going back to some of the themes that have come up today is authenticity that there is a level of being yourself allowing them to be themselves and really connecting maybe is even a bigger part of communication but unfortunately i think 
we do have this mindset, and I think some of it's, I'm very, I've been talking about capitalism a lot, but this capitalism, mm-hmm. but a lot about selling and how do you get someone to do what you want becomes a big part of it, where relationships, it's not about how do you get people to do what you want, it's about how do you connect and how do you allow for both of you to be your, what you want and then see how you can still maintain that relationship. Absolutely. harder than, you know. Did you notice how good I listened to you the whole time? It was, yeah. I, yeah, I just want to point amazing. out, I don't think everybody saw it. I the Instagram Live people saw it. It was really something. So I think um, completely agree with you. You know, I would say this, like in the context of uh, graduate school, like in law school, it was really about clear communication. Speaking clearly is emphasized because you don't want you want to remove the ambiguity of language so that things are very, very yeah. clear. And then in business, it's really about what you kind of touched on. Capital. It's persuading. Business communication is about how do, how do I persuade someone to buy my product? How do I persuade people to be a part of my company? It's persuasion is is the key there. I think what's missing in legal clear thinking sometimes is there's no imagination or storytelling. It's mm-hmm. too clear and it's, it's it's lost at the sort of the other more intangible parts of what's key to good communication. I think in business that that need to persuade, sometimes the authenticity is missing. It's sure. not honest because you're trying to get people to do something. Um, in a PhD program, communication is optional. <laughs> <laughs> Most people in those programs, it's, um, and it's actually the problem is that there's this, um, a lot of people who are in academia, professors, experts, they have so much really valuable knowledge that they can share, but they're not always the best communicators. Um, they're almost they too smart. Because we're talking about communication means a lot of things. So I mean, they don't express yeah. it in a way. Well, I think it's just, it's difficult for them to do the empathy piece. Uh-huh. They know too much. These people are very, very knowledgeable and intelligent. And so because they know so much, being able to relay that to someone, to someone who's their colleague, maybe they can be relatively effective because they can think the way they think. But to relay that to a student, to relay that information to a, a large audience who doesn't have their expertise, that's usually where I see them struggle. And that requires a bit more imagination to think about, okay, this person doesn't know all of the things that I know. How can I make this interesting to them? Mm-hmm. And that's that's the piece that's missing. And so um, it really is about then trying to, again, not just when we're talking about listening and empathy, when you're presenting something, I think being completely in the moment is also key too. So now we're bringing in, I think, the creativity piece, which I think is so, so important. You have to be able to adapt to what is happening in front of you. It's not about having this very like rigid, tight script and executing it. That's not effective communication. And that's another place where I think a lot of experts struggle because it's about being able to go to new places. I mean, I, I've seen, for example, one professor in a classroom where they stuck to the script, four classes, the exact same class, and it was exactly the same word at the exact same time. Even the jokes were exactly the same. The cough, <laughs> almost, that was the only thing that was different. Every time he'd, he'd cough at different times, everything was the same. And, and another who stepped in, and there were surprises, and the class felt dynamic and alive. And I think the second version, the, the classroom feels it, the students feel it. So this kind of, I think, if we connect it to some of the other pieces, creativity, we, we look at like how creativity works is that you have a good, let's say if you're we're specific talking about professor, we're talking about lots of types of communication, they have the knowledge and they have all the ingredients and then now they're going to bring what makes sense in this context 
to connect it. So you have to kind of know. It's like they know the things, they but there's not a rigidity of it has to be presented in this one way. So they can pull on, you know what, this story might be more interesting to them. Or if I present it with, the, you know, that kind of an element might make it more, um, you know, digestible for this group. And it goes back to the listening, which isn't just about hearing. It's like you are aware of your, okay, are they taking it in? Is it not? Does it seem too dry? Does it mm-hmm. seem too boring? There's an interactive, like you said, that dynamism comes from, paying attention to you're attuned you know attunement we we talk about it in in psychology or in therapy it's like this way of it's a dance like both people are playing their part so they're listening you're listening you're connecting and you there's like that synergy that's there but it's only if there's something dynamic that's happening between two of you the the other lecture you're talking about someone just throwing something at you and you're just like either you catch it or you don't but there isn't a back and forth which can seem odd because you're like well someone's giving a talk or a lecture how is there a back and forth but as you said when it's done as an art, there is that ability to make it dynamic where people feel like they're involved and engaged in a way that isn't just here, listen to me talk until I stop talking. Yeah. You know? Well, we all prefer to minimize uncertainty. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to, um, there's there's a certain safety in saying, I'm going to just follow the script and it's going to be good. It's going to be a good class. They're going to get all the information I need. It's much riskier to say, I'm a little open. We don't know exactly where this class is going to go. It's going to be different than the class before. And being open in that way takes a bit more courage and trust. You have to trust yourself mm-hmm. that not only do I just know this information right here, but I'm able to adapt and roll with what's happening in the moment. Yeah. And and it might, again, we're talking about taking risks and sometimes it falls and fails, tolerating a little bit of that too. I mean, they'll have mom- you'll have moments where the class sort of dies a little bit, but I think I would rather be in that room. That room feels alive. That mm-hmm. room, there's real learning taking place. And what I've noticed also is students when they are in a passive learning process, we're going back to the education piece here, passively learning, uh, you may even learn it in the moment, but it won't stick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, this is like, you know, um, I think in To Have or To Be, uh, Eric Fromm talked to, talks about how we experience things. And, you know, he talked about when you're reading, it's like you should be having a conversation with uh, mm-hmm. the author. Now, if you hear the author talking back, that could be a concern. Mm-hmm. It's okay, it, okay, that can happen. but. What we want to focus on, and I try to do this when I'm reading the book, sometimes like some, like they say something like, wait, but this doesn't make sense. And it's actually hard for me to keep going until it makes sense for me and it keeps me engaged and I'm trying to think about it and not be just passively taking in what they're saying. And it, it's a challenge because it makes it a little bit harder, it takes more effort, mm-hmm. but it makes it more interesting and you, I think, even understand it better when you approach it that way. Absolutely. And so even in something like reading where you think, well, how can I be interactive with it? It's just I'm taking in. Mm-hmm. You can engage yourself. So that's kind of the other side of it, not the one who's talking or the, the writer. When you're listening, there's a way you can be engaged that you're not just saying, okay, what do they say? I took it and okay, I'm done. It's like, you're actually playing with it, Absolutely. connecting with it, critical thinking. We're going to say critical all thinking. the series, uh, all at once. It. But you know, that yeah. is a very different type of experience. So uh, I think it's this goes back to the dynamic process, how you present it and how people listen. The more engaged they both are, it creates a very different type of experience and environment. Absolutely. I think when you're listening to anything, um, what our goal should be is it's it's an active process of, okay, that, that part I agree with. I wonder why he said that. Empathy should play a role. This person maybe has a bias towards this way of thinking. I'm going to identify that and take everything with a grain of salt. By the way, I, in, when I'm uh, li- reading books, they are talking back to me because it's usually audi- audible. audio. Yeah, yeah, they, they, it's a conversation. Um, but but yeah, I think it's. Uh, and by the way, I also don't think it's terrible to at least imagine what the author would think in response sure. to this. That that might be an interesting oh, dialogue absolutely. to have in your mind. In yeah. reality, obviously not in the sort of. Um, a mental yeah. illness way, um, but I think it's it's important to actively engage with the material. I think that's when we're learning best, and that's 
what you want to cultivate in a classroom, of course, is that approach to things. I, mean, I actually kind of like it when a student will respond in a certain way and, and challenge something that I've said. Or it, it shows me that they're doing something actively. They're not just passively taking it. And I think we learn so much better when we engage with the world in that way. The three C's, ladies and gentlemen. Mm-hmm. Critical thinking, communication. Mm-hmm. What was the third one? Creativity. You could have come up with one creatively. <laughs> but that does bring us to the end of today's show. A big thank you to Powerhome for joining me. Always enjoy our conversations. Hope you did too. And also a big thank you to Batis here in the studio. Always taking care of me on the Wednesday shows. You've been listening to In Session with Dr. Fadi Dolakwi. Be kind and take risks. Have a wonderful day.